Hello, I'm Lino Khmudu. Welcome to Health Chat. On the show today, we will look at veganism. Veganism is the practice of abstaining from the use of animal products, particularly in diet, among other things. People who follow the diet or philosophy are known as vegan. Veganism is a popular global movement that continues to expand worldwide, including among African communities. Some observers say veganism may be more challenging for Africans due to high consumption of meat and fish in some African traditional food, but not everyone agrees. For more on the subject, I spoke with Tommy Makonjola, a vegan chef and blogger and founder of The Vegan Nigerian. Take a listen. Tommy Makonjola, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Excited to be here. You are vegan, you practice veganism, and you also teach people about veganism. First and foremost, how do you define veganism? Yeah, so for me, veganism is a lifestyle that aims to eliminate the exploitation of animals. And so a vegan is an individual who kind of lives their life by that uh, tenet in a way. So a vegan is someone who avoids using animals, whether it be in their food, in their clothing, in the products that they buy, uh, none of it contains any animal products. Um, and so yes, veganism is all about eliminating um, sort of our, uh, our use and our exploitation of animals. There is a difference between vegan and vegetarian. So can you clarify that for us, please? Absolutely, yes. So some people see veganism as the more, um, the more intense version of vegetarianism because uh, for vegetarians, they still consume some animal products such as dairy, um, eggs. There are some who even still consume meat and they don't, uh, they're not necessarily as conscious about the products or the clothing that they buy, whether it contains animal products or not. So that's the, the major difference. A vegan avoids all things to do with animal products, whereas a vegetarian might still indulge in a few animal products. So when you avoid all things animal products, is it beyond what you eat? For people who um, avoid animal products for dietary reasons, they tend to be more labeled plant-based. But a vegan is someone who takes all those other things you mentioned into consideration. So a vegan wouldn't buy anything made with fur, with wool, with silk, for instance. They wouldn't buy leather shoes. Um, or leather bags or any products at all that have been made from animals. Um, yeah, sheepskin, yeah, none of that, none of that. So if you don't use leather for your shoes, what do you use? I mean, the great thing is that these days, a lot of companies are coming up with very innovative ways um, to work around that. I've heard of some companies who are doing vegan leather now made using pineapple skin, if you can believe it. Um, some are making items using cork as a material. So they're, they're finding other alternative materials that are more sustainable and at the same time don't involve you know, the harming of animals at the same time. There is a perception that Africans do not adhere or believe in veganism. How accurate is this? I don't know how 100% accurate it is. I know I can speak from my experience that um, it is challenging to speak about veganism in a Nigerian environment, um, only because the way our culture has evolved, it's gotten to the point now where the consumption of meat is seen as a 
you know, a thing of luxury. It's seen as a sign of affluence. And it's considered kind of strange for the majority to have a meal that does not have meat inside of it. It's considered strange. And so uh, from that perspective, I can understand why people say the two are not compatible. Having said that, when I sort of looked into the history of the way we've eaten, meat and animal products wasn't always the central part of our diet. Our diet has always been very rich in plant foods, naturally grown from the farm, yam, cassava, rice, you know, beans, all types of legumes and leafy vegetables. That's the base of our cuisine. And there was a time when meat was you know, maybe you would have it at special occasions, but certainly not to the extent that we have it today, where it's, you know, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, meat is, you know, consumed all the time. And so for those who are worried about switching to veganism uh, for the diet perspective, I would say it's not such a fast stretch. You're not going to be missing out on much. You can still enjoy much of your cultural foods with just a few modifications. What are the advantages of becoming a vegan? So there are so many um, benefits. Uh, I can take it from the health perspective, first of all. Um, People who uh, follow a vegan diet are less likely to actually contract a lot of these dietary-related illnesses that we see today. So things related to high blood pressure, diabetes, heart disease, um, and some even claim certain cancers as well, that a, vegan, a healthy, uh, balanced vegan diet can actually help you to prevent um, catching a lot of these diseases. Now, if we take it from the benefit to the wider world and the planet, we see that consuming less meat or no meat at all has a positive effect on climate, on the climate. So greenhouse gases, A lot of people don't realize that animal agriculture is one of the leading causes of climate change. And if we can all just make slight modifications in the way we eat, we can actually begin to tackle that on a wide scale. Um, So there are benefits on a personal level, but there are also benefits on a wider scale um, for our planet and the future, you know, future generations as well. So you need your protein. But some people believe that if you switch to veganism, you're missing out on needed protein, lipids, and things like that. What do you say? That's a complete myth. You know, you would be very hard-pressed to actually find a vegan who has a protein deficiency. And that's because most people, when they think of protein, they think they have to get it from animal sources, such as dairy, such as chicken, you know, you tell people you need to eat lots of fish and beef to get enough protein. But in reality, protein can be found in a vast array of food sources. For vegans, we get our protein primarily from legumes. So things like beans, lentils have high amounts of protein, nuts and seeds. Think of all the different varieties that exist of that. And then even in vegetables, people don't realize that vegetables contain protein as well. So as long as you do your research, you kind of look into what your body needs and all the nutritional benefits of the different foods you're consuming, there's no way, uh, I mean, there's no reason why you can't have a balanced, healthy uh, vegan diet that includes the, the amount of protein that your body needs as well. Are there any risks at all with veganism? Nothing is perfect. Yes, I completely agree with you. Nothing is perfect. I mean, the one thing I will say to people who are considering veganism is that they need to ensure that they are getting all the nutrients and vitamins they need, in particular, vitamin B12. Now, vitamin B12 is one of those um, 
uh, nutrients that is harder for vegans to come by. It's not impossible though, because if you take a very good multivitamin or a good supplement of vitamin B12, it can meet all your needs. Um, but even having said that, meat eaters need to be conscious of their vitamin B12 as well, because you find that some people, even on a meat diet, are still missing out on that key nutrient to the right quantities. And so in general, it's recommended that even if you are eating the healthiest diet in the world, it's still a good idea to supplement with a good multivitamin just to ensure that you're covering all your bases. And the same is true even when you're following a vegan diet as well. What is vitamin B12 and what is it good for? Yes, so vitamin B12 is actually a naturally occurring thing in the gut of a lot of animals, but they consume it from the earth. So like cows and sheep that eat the grass, they get the vitamin B12 from that and the B12 actually goes into their their system and into their muscles. And so the meat that people eat, the vitamin B12 is derived from there. Now, in this day and age, they say that in the past, when we were closer to farming, you know, and farming our own foods from scratch, uh, it was very easy to get vitamin B12 naturally that way. But now that everything is super sanitized, we wash our vegetables thoroughly, all the dirt is removed from it. And so a lot of that B12 is stripped away in the process. And so in order to get that, um, you do need a supplement um, as the vegan. But B12 is a very important um, vitamin because it actually helps with the regulation of the nervous system. And so if you go a long period of time without having sufficient vitamin B12, it could cause damage to your nervous system. And that's something that you don't want because it could be ir irreversible. Normally in food, like I said, it is found in meat, um, but for, and then it doesn't occur naturally in vegetables. Uh, so it's not as if you can eat a specific type of vegetable and you know that you're getting a good supply of B12, which is why you do need the, um, the supplement uh, of it as well. And you will find actually, having said that, that there are companies now that are infusing vitamin B12 into certain products like um, soy milk. You can get fortified soy milk, which has vitamin B12. You can get fortified vegan yogurt that has B12 as well. So looking for those fortified foods also makes it easier to incorporate into your diet. You founded the Vegan Nigerian. How did you start? Why did you become vegan? Yeah, thank you for that question. Um, so my blog, The Vegan Nigerian, actually started in 2013, very, very shortly after I myself went vegan. And I found myself in a space where I didn't see anyone else around me who was following this lifestyle, who could identify with my own experiences, my background, my culture, who were living this lifestyle successfully. I didn't know many vegans at that time. And so starting the platform for me was a way of um, showing my community what was possible, to show them that they can still enjoy all the traditional uh, aspects of their meals, but in a veganized, plant-based way. Um, and so it's been a really exciting journey for me. I mean, my blog started with me just sharing recipes and people commenting and giving me feedback on what they tried and what had worked for them. Um, and over the years, it evolved into a host of different activities, including hosting pop-up restaurants in London and hosting a pop-up restaurant in Paris as well, in Nigeria, in Lagos, where I was born and raised. Um, it's also led to me writing cookbooks um, and just 
doing content creation, sharing resources with people, hosting workshops where people can actually learn how to make these dishes themselves and learn a little bit more about what it takes to be on this lifestyle successfully. So did you just decide one day that you wanted to be a vegan? What attracted you to it? Yeah, a number of factors actually played a role because, you know, up until the point when I went vegan, I would never have imagined myself on this lifestyle. I did not grow up in a household where it was the norm. I didn't even really know what it meant at the time. But I noticed I was um, I was in my early 20s and my energy levels were just so low. I couldn't explain it. I was feeling sluggish. I was feeling unhealthy. And I think inherently, I just knew that my diet played a big role in how I was feeling. And so I decided to eliminate animal products for a short period of time just to see the effect it would have on my mood and my energy. And I noticed a huge difference um, because one of the things about consuming a plant-based diet is that it's a lot easier on the digestive system. All the energy that goes into digesting meat and dairy and animal products, a lot of that energy gets redirected into other parts of the body to allow you to operate optimally. And so the health was a really big draw for me. But at the same time, I had started to investigate or do a little bit of research into animal agriculture itself to see the ways in which industrialized farming is not only impacting our health, but impacting the planet. Um, I did not agree with the animal cruelty that often goes along with these methods of production. I did not agree with the way these companies are polluting the earth are causing you know, vast amounts of environmental damage through animal agriculture. And so when I put all those pieces together, um, it just made sense for me. And I haven't looked back since then, and it's been almost nine years now. That's fantastic. Now give us uh, perhaps a, a daily meal, like breakfast, lunch, and dinner. What would you have? So, I mean, a very typical day for me might look like this. So, breakfast, I would have a healthy oat-based porridge with fruit, lots of fresh fruit. Um, for snacks, I would also have fruit, but I would also have things like plantain chips. I would have nuts and seeds like cashews, peanuts. I love avocado. Then for lunch, I'll maybe have like some plantain with some vegetable stew, filled with, you know, maybe some chickpeas or some beans for my protein. Then for dinner, I might have something like jollof rice, which is like a classic West African dish. Jollof rice with some moi moi, which is like a steamed uh, bean cake. Uh, I'll have that with a salad, uh, vegetables, and yeah, that's a whole day of food. <laughs> Sounds delicious for sure. <laughs> Yeah. Okay, Tommy. So before we wrap, what's down the pipe for Vegan Nigerian? I have a cookbook that's coming out very soon on the 22nd of November. It's called Vegan Nigerian Kitchen, and it includes 100 recipes uh, for people to follow. So whether you know about Nigerian food or you're completely new to Nigerian food, it's a great way to discover some really vibrant, delicious recipes. I'm really proud of this work. You know, I put a lot of effort into it. Um, and I hope that people will enjoy trying out the recipe. And where can the book be found? So the book, you'll be able to find it through my website, veganigerian.com. Um, you will also be able to find it on Amazon across different platforms. And if you don't want the paperback, you will also have the option to download the ebook version as well. Okay, Tomi Makanjola, thank you so much. We appreciate your time.
Thank you for having me. That was vegan chef and blogger Tommy Makonjola, founder of The Vegan Nigerian. You are listening to Health Chat on Voice of America. It is time for a short break. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Stay informed and up to date. Monday through Friday at 3.30 and 17.05 UTC with VOA's International Edition. Our correspondents bring you the news from around the globe. Plus, we delve into the context of the day's biggest stories with interviews with experts that place the story into context to understand why it matters. VOA's International Edition, your best source for news and information. Welcome back to Health Chat. The World Health Organization recommends one doctor per thousand people. However, Africa has about one doctor for every 5,000 people. Experts say brain drain is one of the reasons behind the health workers' shortage. In Nigeria, thousands of doctors leave every year to Europe, North America, and the Middle East due to poor salaries and working conditions back home. Nigerian health authorities are promising to improve compensation to stop the country's medical brain drain. But as Timothée Biezu reports from Abuja, it may not be enough. We didn't have the materials we needed to work with, so you would see people die from preventable diseases. Nigerian Dr. Chimizie Ibe recalls the poor state of Nigeria's health system. When he got an offer to work in Britain two months ago, he took it. I left because I got frustrated. I, I, I worked in a place where I worked in an environment where for the first four months of my, of my employment, I was old. And in these four months, I had bills to pay. I had responsibilities to meet up to. I had to be at work every day. Dr. Ibe is among the some 2,000 doctors Nigeria loses every year to better paying jobs abroad, according to the country's National Medical Association. Countries such as Britain, the United States, Saudi Arabia and Canada are prime destinations. The association says poor funding, frequent strikes, overpay and unfavorable government policies for the health sector are to blame for the medical brain drain. Money is not the only factor driving health professionals abroad, as Nigerian optometrist Ifani Ugeni explains. I want to practice in an environment where I have basically all diagnostic tools at my disposal. Payment disputes between the government and medical practitioners have continued for years and led to strikes, the latest being the National Association of Resident Doctors strike, which was suspended early this month, more than two months after it began. Nigeria's Medical Association blames the migration for Nigeria's falling doctor-to-patient ratio. But some doctors like Blessing Okubo refuse to leave. Which I have had several opportunities to work abroad, but I still chose to strengthen my country and strengthen the health sector. This month, Nigerian authorities promised to increase pay in a bid to retain physicians. But medical expert Ejike Oji says a broader approach is needed to ensure Nigerian doctors stay. But our healthcare system is so broken that we need a lot of resources and we need a lot of transparency and accountability 
to make use of even the little that we want to put in it. Until then, thousands of Nigerian health professionals will continue trying to get a job abroad. Timothy Yobiezu for VOA News, Abuja, Nigeria. Dr. Idris Mohamed Lehman is a consultant at National Hospital in Abuja, Nigeria. He elaborates on the issue of medical brain drain and what can be done with VOA Hausa Stringer Hawa Uma. Nigerian doctors are trooping out to United Kingdom, Middle East, uh, USA and Canada. Now, for those going out to train abroad and remain there, what can be done is we have the training centers in Nigeria, is to open them up to absorb this group of residents and a specific form of trainings that probably is taking certain group of doctors out to acquire those kind of specialization should be opened up in the country. And then the ability to retain them after the training and to practice what they have trained on. Even those who go out, if they know that when they come back to the country, what they need to practice the trade is available, they will return. Certainly, the trade they learned abroad, the training they get abroad, we have its need in Nigeria. People that require such sub-specialization and specialties in terms of healthcare are available. But what they need, the environment, the supporting services, energy, water resource, and communication, as well as supporting services to that subspecialization need to be upgraded or to be you know, opened so that those who went to train abroad will return. Those who have trained within will remain within if they are practicing, they have a good environment, a very favorable environment to practice what they have trained on. What can be done is just to get what is not available, bring it into the country. Government can equip their facilities as public hospitals and then give a rebate sort of in terms of taxation, the modalities of bringing some of these gadgets by private settings to enable them bring it without too much expense so that they can install them and put it to use at a reduced cost to the Nigerian populace. This is what India did. Nigerians can look closely to how India, India did theirs. In terms of manpower and specialists, we have it. We have them a lot outside and a lot in the country. The consequences is enormous. It means many more people will be denied access to health care in their environment. So we need to make things available, both in the general setting, but put a lot of power or resources to support private settings, because that is what takes most countries out of the wood in terms of healthcare services. As Africa records more than 8.3 million COVID-19 cases, the continent continues to suffer from a severe shortage of vaccines. While many high-income countries have already vaccinated more than 75% of the populations, at least 14 African countries have not even immunized 1% of their populations. Stephen Neri, Africa Regional Director of Project Hope, explained to VOA senior analyst Mohamed El Sinawi what should be done to deal with international vaccine discrepancy. On average, about 9% of the population 
on the African continent has been vaccinated. The next closest region to Africa in terms of vaccination rate is the Middle East with 44% of its population vaccinated. So how do we address the discrepancy? First, Africa can manufacture and does manufacture vaccines. It's possible and it's done on the continent. It's global structures, governments, and pharmaceutical companies that block access to the intellectual property and rights required to manufacture and distribute vaccines in Africa. So this problem is solvable. We can do the following things, and in many ways, all the things that I'm going to mention here are happening. One is donation of vaccines. Two, make vaccines available at more affordable prices. Three, support initiatives like the African Vaccine Acquisition Trust, AVAT. That's an initiative by the African Union member states to pool their purchasing power. And in this regard, yesterday, Dr. John Kengasong, the director of Africa Centers for Disease Control, announced that Moderna will sell its vaccine at seven U.S. dollars per dose. That's significantly less than the 22 to 37 U.S. dollars per dose that it's currently being sold outside of the United States. And four, and this is the one that's really going to help us in 2023 and beyond is to really support investments to grow manufacturing capacity in Africa, including and especially to one push for licensing agreements that allow COVID-19 vaccines that are already manufactured in Africa to be distributed in Africa. And also under the manufacturing umbrella is to put pressure on major pharmaceutical companies to release intellectual property and trade secrets that will allow vaccines to be manufactured and distributed globally, including and especially in Africa. Fewer doses are expected to be delivered to African countries through COVAX after the UN sharing mechanism announced that it's forced to slash planned COVID-19 vaccine deliveries to Africa by 150 million doses this year. What are the alternative options as millions of Africans continue to pay the price for vaccine hoarding and restrictions on its export? Uh, the number for delivery by COVAX by the end of 2021 seems to be shrinking from the 2 billion doses globally down to the current estimate of 1.4 billion. And remember, even if fully successful across Africa, COVAX will only vaccinate 20% of the population on this continent. In terms of a response to your question, we need to push for African countries to be allowed to produce vaccines on the continent, push for donations, and support other purchasing mechanisms beyond COVAX such as AVAT that I mentioned earlier. In terms of production, vaccine development is primarily funded by public money, taxpayer dollars from the global north. Biotech and pharmaceutical companies exist in Africa. Their ability to supply the continent is stymied by the controls placed by major pharmaceutical companies on their rights to manufacture. As of September this year, there were at least 12 COVID-19 vaccine production facilities either set up or in the pipeline across six African countries, Algeria, Morocco and Egypt in the north, Senegal, Nigeria in the west, and South Africa in the south. Manufacturing capacity is not the issue. It's the pharmaceutical corporation's monopoly over intellectual property protections that is preventing production and distribution of COVID-19 vaccines in Africa. The World Health Organization set up the COVID-19 Technology Access Pool, which creates a platform for companies to voluntarily donate intellectual property for COVID vaccine manufacture, but it's not working. The last time I checked, the major COVID-19 manufacturing companies have refused to participate.
as the gap between vaccinations in high-income and middle- and low-income countries widens. Project HOPE advises against using the global vaccine supplies for boosters in the wake of the highly transmissible Delta variant. Was there any response to Project HOPE advice? Uh, 145 million additional doses or booster injections have been administered around the world. This number will continue to increase as many countries are now recommending boosters. I just want to reiterate that as the virus spreads, it continues to mutate. We really don't know how the next variant will impact us. The way to stop mutation is to stop the spread, and the best way that we know to stop the spread is through vaccination. So this inequity is putting us all at risk. That was Stephen Neri, Africa Regional Director at Project Hope, speaking with VOA Senior Analyst Mohamed El Shinawi. That's all for this edition of Health Chat. For the latest news and coverage on the coronavirus pandemic, visit voanews.com. Check us out at facebook.com slash voahealthchat and let's keep the conversation going. Thank you all for joining us and special thanks to all our affiliate stations throughout Africa for carrying Health Chat. I'm your host, Lenore Mudu in Washington with producer Dan Brown. Until next time, take care, stay safe and strive to make every day a healthy day. This is a message in the public interest from VOA Africa. Hello, I'm VOA health correspondent Linor Modou. The World Health Organization and Africa Centers for Disease Control say we all can help fight the global pandemic by frequently washing our hands or using hand sanitizers. For more information on protecting yourself and others, check with reliable sources such as the WHO and Africa CDC. And remember to listen to VOA for the latest on COVID-19. That was a message.